Hi everyone and welcome. We're going to be going through Mir Hashem today, learning Parashas Truma, the uh, beginning now of this whole discussion of how do we build a home for God's presence in the world. In later weeks, Mir Hashem, we're going to actually discuss when this happened chronologically. Was it really straight after Sinai as it looks in the Torah or was it later on after the golden calf? That we'll see. But right now, the Torah presents this as the thing we should be thinking about. We've talked about climbing up the mountain, right? In Mishpatim, the gradual stage-by-stage growth up the mountain all the way until we can grasp the maximum we can of Hashem's presence. And now, how do we bring that down to earth? And the Torah opens with literally this. Hashem says to Moshe, speak to Bnei Yisrael, yikhili truma, take gifts. From anybody whose heart wants to give. And then a whole list of the materials that should be used in this structure. And then what's interesting is we actually go through three of the came, three of the things you have to build inside uh, the base of mixture. We go through the Oren, the actual ark that houses the, the Luchos, the Ten Commandments. We go through the, the Shulchan, just outside where that was placed, the ark in the Holy of Holies. As you'd walk outside of there, you'd be in a room where you have the table, the Shulchan that had the bread that was off every single week put up there for the whole week. There was bread piping hot and it was replaced every week. And the menorah, the candelabra, the menorah that we're all familiar with. But there are other kalim, other vessels missing. And then we have the structures, the screens, the walls, the roofs. There's other stuff that's missing in this week and is only going to appear next week or in some cases, um, certain things we're going to learn about later on. And the question is why? <laughs> like why specifically these three? And then we describe, you know, it's full material construction. And then next week, we're going to split it up whilst we're busy talking about Kahane. We're going to mention, oh, by the way, there should also be, uh, we should light the menorah. And also we should have uh, a little, uh, another little Mizbeach for Keturah, a little place to offer incense, right? I think we'll talk mostly about that next week, but maybe we'll touch upon this week, the difference, because that's very important. But let's open right, right with something profound that the Torah throws at us right at the very beginning. And that is this that the principle of what we're trying to do here is what we're trying to do is build the vessels, the kalim, that are going to house Hashem's presence. In fact, I'll give you a very quick clue as to the difference in what we're going to do in Truma and what we're going to try and achieve in Tetzava next week. In Truma, we're literally building the vessels that can house God's presence. In Tetzava, we're going to learn what we need to do to switch them on, right? It's a bit like the difference between building electrical generators so that you can have a huge amount of electrical power. And then actually, what do you need to do to switch all the circuits on and bring them here and keep them here? Um, so Truma is going to be about the vessels. And at the core of the construction of vessels is the construction of the human being and human society. And it's amazing that literally the opening words, how do you build the vessels to house a God? The heart gives. Truma, it's a gift. It could have been a tax. It could have been, you have to do this. No, that's not a vessel for housing God. And the deep secret is literally in, in Pasukas, Vasuli Mikdash, they shall make for me a holy place. that I dwell in them. By the way, um, so, so there's a very famous, it's become very famous since Reb Chaim Velozhin wrote the Nefesh Chaim, the great student of the Vilna Gaon, uh, wrote the Nefesh Chaim, his great, his great work in the, um, oh, whoops, sorry, just before this. Yes, it's great. He wrote the, um, the, his great work capturing the, the general, the, the direction, the, the method of service we should do for Hashem's service, um, in, um, based on the Lithuanian Kabbalistic world. Um, sorry. And what he wrote there very famously. So, 
Um, I don't know whether, he, I mean, he, he lived between the end of the eight, mid 18th to early 19th centuries, just to put it somewhere in historical context. What he wrote there, I just got, sorry, looking for the page here, is he says, famously quotes the Vasuli Mikdash, they shall make for me a sanctuary, the Shachanti Besecham, so I dwell in them. He quotes the rabbis, Chazal, right, as saying, I should say that it should dwell in it. But it doesn't say it should dwell in it. It doesn't say, I'll dwell in it, in the temple. Yes, I dwell in them. Now, you could learn plural means in case it gets destroyed, you have to build more. And that is uh, true halachically. We have to always keep building it. But listening conceptually, right, he quotes Chazal. Is, well, the first source we have of this explicitly is, is Rabbeinu Ephraim's commentary on the Torah. But it is a way to read the Zohar HaKadosh this way. And I think the Vilna Gaon learned the Zohar HaKadosh this way. So he's, his source text is probably the Zohar that says the real house of God is the human being. So where am I going to dwell in them, in the people? Right? So, and, and that's, that's a shayid ven It has to be the giving of the heart. Now, there's an obvious question on that. The simple meaning of the text, by the way, or the natural way to try to read the text without taking it too literally. This, by the way, is an incredibly deep principle. In Torah, the more literally you read it, the deeper you go. Most texts, the literal meaning is not that deep and you have to kind of make it allegories and metaphors to make it say deep things. In Torah, the plain meaning is not the most literal meaning. The more literally you go, the deeper you go. So here's a great example. The plain meaning, what we'd call the pshat, the pshuta shemek, or the simple reading, and we always say, Ein de pshuta. A verse never leaves its primary meaning. But the primary meaning is not necessarily the most literal way of reading the words. It's kind of how you'd read them in the natural context of the Torah. So you'd say, make for me a holy place. I can dwell amongst the people in that holy place. But literally the word then should still have said in it. And the fact that it says allows that, that beautiful literal reading of literally in the people. But then comes the obvious question. If the primary dwelling place of Hashem is in the people, so in that case, why, why do we need a temple? Just be dwelling inside us. And of course, it would explain, and Nefesh Chaim, Rapaim of Elohim goes a great length to explain that therefore, that's why when we do the mitzvahs and we do positive things, we bring Hashem's presence into the world. God dwells in you and in me. If Khalila, we do the wrong things, we throw them out. So why do you need a physical structure? Because obviously the real primary place of Hashem is not in you or me. How do you put the two together then? It's in both of us. It's in all of us. It's in the collective oneness of the nation. Just as we received the Torah, standing as Yisrael stood, as Israel stood as one single person with one beating heart, like one man, with one heart. So too, when we house God in this world, it's me and you, but it is me and you. It's not, I can't be a house of God if you're not a house of God. You can't be a house of God if I'm not a house of God. We can't be a house of God individually. We each have to individually make ourselves yidvenuli by giving of our heart, but it has to be as a collective. The best analogy or a great analogy for this is the human body. You know, each cell in the body can't be an individual unconcerned about the rest. Sometimes I say, I want to be an individual. If being an individual means I want to be the center of the world and you will serve me, that's disastrous. If cells in the body do that, the body's over. On the other hand, we don't want a conformity type of thing where every single person does the same thing. You know, we're all automatons doing the same thing. 
right? Because in that situation, there's no body either. What we need is each tribe, each sub, just each organ in the body, each sub-organ, each piece of tissue, each cell, doing something its own, of its own skill, its own craft, its own abilities, but all operating together. And then you can have consciousness, awareness, awareness of being aware, depth, the ability to house a mind searching for meaning, the ability to do the maths of the entire universe, an ability to relate to the idea of a creator, purpose, meaning, house, a soul, godliness, all this kind of stuff. And so to the nation together as one, each one wanting to have the DNA of God dwell within me, but within me means also within you, working together, each one contributing their own their own individual heart to the collective mission. And together, the conscious kind of, so the nation becomes the body and its mind or soul is the temple. And that's why it's Mikdash and the Mishkan. Mikdash is a place where we become sanctified. Mishkan literally means a dwelling place of God's presence. When we become holy, then God's presence lives amongst us. So that's the power of the opening of the Sedra. I want to um, share something else about all of this in a few moments, but let's now delve a little bit into the Kalim, the actual vessels that are brought, that we're told to build this week. So the first thing we're told is the Oren, is the Ark. And um, if we think about it for a moment, right, that's exactly the point. God's given the Ten Commandments. We need to become the vessel. How do we channel that and absorb it uh, that's exactly what we build. That's an oran. An oran is, Rosh Hashanah has a beautiful piece, by the way, generally in, in his essays on symbolism. Um, he has on every metal and every part of the Mishkan, definitely worth the read. But he makes the point that this is a vessel to house God's revelation. That's what we've got to build. We've got to turn ourselves into vessels and vehicles so that God's light can shine through us. And the way we do that, of course, beautifully is Zav. It's what do you got to build? The, it's got to be outside shit and it's got to have wood. But there's really three boxes that house the Oren inside it. Three, three boxes are gold inside, wood in the middle, gold outside. And the wood is of the great cedar tree. And the wood symbolizes growth. The gold symbolizes the purity, right? And that's to be pure inside, pure outside, but always growing. If we want to get a little deeper, of course, we will hear echoes and we'll hear them all the way through the Mishkan, all the way through the home of God, echoes of the Garden of Eden, of Gan Eden. How? Because of course the center of the garden was the Eitzachim, the tree of life, right? The whole garden's trees, because trees symbolize growth. But the waters that surround, when we have the rivers that come out of, of Gan Eden, just uh, open the Chumash here. Uh, sorry, when we have the waters that surround, so the very first water, it's called Shema Echot. The name is Pishon, who has Sovim Kolaretz Chavila, surrounds the land of, of Chavila. So this is the waters coming out of it. Nesham Hazahov. That's where the gold is. By the way, and the, the, the Apostle then says, in a very enigmatic verse in the context of the story of the Garden of Eden, the gold of that land is good. They have Bedoilach of Evan Ashoham and Shoham stones. The Bedoilach, by the way, is only described one of the time in Torah. It's the man, it's the food they were eating while they were on the level of the revelation at Sinai and the food they were eating whilst building the Mishkan. In fact, a bit of that man and Bedoilach had to actually be there inside just so that people could see it um, with, the, with the temple forever. And the Avni Shoham, the Shoham stones, also come back this week, Sedra, as part of the material used to build 
vessels, in particular the priestly clothing. So everything in this river that surrounds Eden makes its way into the Mishkan. So uh, exactly as this week says, not surprising. And why should that be surprising to us, right? This is the place where we're going to contact God like man contacted God in the Garden of Eden. And in fact, if you think about the very tablets, the very luchos, I remember Moshe Shapiro once giving it, Zechotadirach giving a beautiful share once he explained, and others explained similar principle, that the two tablets, the five mitzvahs, the Ten Commandments, the five on the right, the five on the left, those that are the five on the right are, are those, of course, that relate to our relationship with God. The five on the left relate to our relationship with man are parallels to one another because our only way of connecting to God is by connecting to one another. And the real thing that connects humans and allows them not to be jealous is the recognition that we all come from one God. And just like in Gan Eden, Adam was one soul that was all of us, that was divided into male and female, whose only job was to come back together and then to come to Hashem. So too the luchos, the tablets are, how do we come together? on the left-hand side, if you like, and then how do we come to Hashem on the right-hand side? And the parallels are very powerful. On the presence of God and the awareness of God and the centrality of God, and you cannot kill the awareness of the right to life. Right? Don't serve idols or make images. Don't commit adultery. Right? Don't betray the relationship and they're parallel to each other. Don't steal. Right? So God says, don't take my name, my revelation. This whole world is the name of God, the revelation. Don't take it and misuse it. Don't take it and detach it from its purpose, its connection to its source or its owner, i.e. God. Use everything to reveal God's name, not to take the name in vain. Don't steal from the world. Right? The fourth one being uh, Shabbos, keep Shabbos, which we describe as being testimony to God's creation of heaven and earth. And on the other side, don't bear false witness. Right? The fifth one, which is don't be jealous on the human side, is honor parents. Because in honoring parents, we recognize we're not the creator and center point of the universe. We're coming from a source going all the way back through generation after generation to its ultimate source, which is the creator of the universe. In fact, in the Garden of Eden story, it says about Adam that he will let go of his father and mother and connect to his wife. Well, he doesn't have a father and mother. His father and mother is God, right? But in our relationship with our father and mother, that's where we begin our relationship of we are created beings that goes all the way back to Hashem, right? And it's in that sense that we don't own the world that we're able to not be jealous. When we think we're the center of the world, when we can't honor our parents or honor the nation that we're created from or honor history or honor its creator, then we can't honor its creator. But more than that, we want everything, right? We, I think we discussed it. I don't remember whether we were recording, filming in those days when we learned Pasha's Toldos about the difference between Esau's attitude and Yaakov. Esau wants to pay off his father. I, yes, I'm indebted to you. How much do I pay? But he can't ever, he honors his father like no one in the world, but he can't speak nicely. Yaakov isn't trying to pay off. I'm always an expression of my parents. Mine is not the life I have. That life I have is a gift from previous generations and a gift from Hashem. What's mine is the choices I make with it, which is why Esau always wants to control everything and own everything. He says to Yaakov, I've got so much. Yaakov says, I've got everything. <laughs> I don't need to control things. I'm interacting in a world where everything is there. I've got my role, you've got your role, right? And so the opposite of honoring parents in the relationship with God is never to be jealous in the last of the Ten Commandments. So they're parallel to one another because they're the secret of how we connect to each other and how we connect to God. And the pathway to God is through each other and the pathway to each, to each other is through Hashem. And we'll see that play out many, many times. But if you listen even more deeply, you'll realize that they are all aspects of rectifying the sin of the Garden of Eden, right? Don't kill. What brought death into the world? The snake in the garden, 
right? By cutting us off from God and saying, you'll be like God. We cut off from the, you'll be God instead of God. So you deny God on the, on the right-hand side and you bring death on the left-hand side, exactly opposite the Ten Commandments. Be aware of Hashem Elekecha. Right? We also learned that the snake separated the two names of God. Right? Up till that point, we always talk about Hashem Elekim, the two names of God. The snake says, no, just talk about Elohim. You, you, Afkiyam um, Elekim, did Elekim. Elekim is God as you see. We look at a world full of laws, powers. And when we attribute it all to a divine somewhere in the distance, that was when it moves from being a secular word. Elohim, powers, judges, political rulers, angels, to one God creator. And that's when it stops taking plural adjectives of verbs, powers, and it becomes the source of all powers, God. But the four-letter word never can be used secularly. That's like the pure will of God, the pure love of God that's distant, but ultimately driving everything. And we need both in a relationship. There's what you see, right? So you see, I see your face, you see my face, we hear each other's voices. That's, and when we attribute that to the something deeper at the root of all that, that's like what we do with God when we look at the order of the world and say, ah, Elohim. But then I also know there's an infinite depth beyond when we do that with God that's called Hashem. The snake separates the two and talks only about the name Elohim. God as you see him. In the Ten Commandments, they come like, put it together. So, the first command is really, but what's the second command? Adultery, like the Medrash says, in a way, the snake was committing adultery with the woman. That's why he speaks to the woman first. And opposite that is idolatry, because we came to worship ourselves instead of God. So in the betrayal of the man-woman relationship was the betrayal of the man-God relationship, right? Exactly parallel to that place in the Ten Commandments. Then the snake gets them to steal, take from the fruit you're not allowed to eat from. And what the snake does is takes from the purpose you're created and rips it away. And now not only is God's name gone, right? But now you're taking from the world and God's, God's, now, God's name is hidden, right? So, so what you've literally done is steal by taking the fruit and use God's name in vain. Not only have you separated God's name, but now instead of Yisam Kelekim, instead of at least use the name Elakim, God as you see him, now you'll be God. Right? You now take that name and put it onto you. So in using God's name in vain, in secularizing God's name, in humanizing God and deifying the human in the same act as stealing their parallel in the commandments. Then, instead of testifying about God in the world, which is to, all you had to do in the Garden of Eden was get to the end of the sixth day and you'd be in Shabbos. Now instead... God calls out and says, where are you? Oh, I'm hiding from you, right? And now, uh, you know, like, uh, you're not even here in the world anymore, Hashem, right? I can hide from you. That's a failure to testify accurately. It's false testimony. It's the failure to reach Shabbos. And then comes the cutting off from parents, right? Which is exactly the whole point. Adam will now, Adam will now always cut off from his parents. And opposite that, of course, is jealousy. And that's exactly what the woman says when she now gives birth, this is my acquisition, my source. God is no longer there, like cutting off from parents. And of course, what does kind, kind means literally jealousy. It means possession. It means mine. And of course, that becomes jealousy. And kind cuts off from his parents, kills his own brother, and so on. So you see how they're parallel. And the commandments, therefore, are telling you, how do we get back into Gan Eden? How do we get back into that Garden of Eden world? Well, we do it through Nidvenu Liboy, giving of our heart. We do it through coming together as one. We do it through breaking past the jealousy. And we do it by dedicating our collective lives to the revelation of Hashem. So that by not, by recognizing we're all part of one body, we're no longer jealous. We now testify 
right? We no longer jealous means we connect to our own parents and we'll soon see how that will manifest in the Karuvim, in the, uh, the beings that are, the shape of the beings that are on top of the ark. But in doing so, we no longer steal from the world, but we use the world the way it's meant to be. In doing so, we come to unity between man and God and also that will be represented in the Karuvim. And in doing so, we come to recognizing the value of every other life and the value of, actually we bring, we get past the death of man, right? Back to eternal life, right? We eat from the tree of life, which is the Torah. And we transcend death in Triasames, in the resurrection of the dead. When they stood at Mount Sinai, said the the snake's slime and poison was gone. And they could have been eternal. That could have been the end of death. That could have fulfilled the first of the second lot of commandments. Don't kill, no more death. And at the top, that would have been the full revelation of Hashem. So this is what we're doing. We're literally creating a pathway that our lives can be channels to bring back the Garden of Eden, to bring back the full relationship with one another, with Hashem. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And of course, we're not going through every single detail of the depth. This you could draw out more and more and more and more. But let's talk for a moment about those Kruvim. On top of the ark, you've got to build these Kruvim. And of course, Kruvim, the Gemara says they had like a vision. It looked like a vision that's human-like in its face, but got wings and two of them, but they have to be built out of one piece of gold. And this, of course, represents their male and female, and they represent lots of things, but they represent the man-man, the human relationship, but they also represent the man-God relationship. All the way through Tanakh, you always use in the biblical text that marriage, male and female, is always the metaphor for man and God. And exactly like the two sides of the Luchas, and exactly like Garden of Eden. Man and woman were one, built out of one piece, right? And in their oneness with each other, they were then meant to do another thing where they meant to become at one with their creator. So this plays both. And of course, the idea that how do we find unity by connecting to the fact that we're all built from one piece, we're all one soul. Adam, Adam in Garden of Eden was one soul. And you and I are all connected in some way. And ultimately, that's our connection to Hashem. We're like branches of a tree, twigs, that if we come together, 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 the depth of our being, we meet each other. If we go deeper, we meet the whole of Israel, the whole Jewish nation. If we go deeper, we meet the whole of mankind, the whole of Adam, Adam in the garden. Deeper, we go to the creator of the universe. And the wings means that we're always growing. And in fact, there's this amazing Chazal's different Gemaras and Midrashim about how the, the beings would, the, the, the two structures would face each other or not, depending on the state of the nation. But this is the idea to house God. These are all not just symbols. And of course, in the Garden of Eden, the very last thing as they get expelled from the garden is that uh, is exactly this. God sends Hashem Elokim Meganeden out of Ganeden to work the ground. He, he puts in them what he put. He he puts Yashke Mekedem Meganeden. He puts there Yashke in the same word, right? That becomes Mishkan, right? The Kruvim. These two, these Kruvim. So only by becoming connected to this model of Kuruvim, only in that sense can we ever again get into the Garden of Eden. So, the, and of course, the last dimension of the Aron is, well, there's many, so many, but is, is the fact that it has poles in it. They can never be moved because the idea is wherever we travel, the Aron travels with us. So we build ourselves into vessels to house the Ten Commandments, to house the mission in life, to house the vision of how to return to the relationship with one another and with God how to eat again from the tree of life, through the growth of the tree of the central box, gold on the inside, gold on the outside, loving one another by seeing that we're all part of one, right? And 
And in, in that, coming to our connection to our creator, mankind and God. And of course, um, yeah, I'll pour, of course, this is what the Rambam says at the end of Ilhas Chuvah, the ultimate Chuvah, the ultimate coming back is to be in a passionate, loving relationship with Hashem. Kol the whole book of the Song of Songs of Shlomo Melech of King Solomon, the passionate love, male and female, is teaching us about that place of passionate love with Hashem. Right? That's, and more to say about that in coming centers and what the boundaries of that are. Of course, that's not just a free for all. Oh, everything I feel like doing, I do. In relationships, it can't be like that either. It's protected. It's bounded. This place where it should be not open to the whole public. These are all, all things that we'll, Mir Hashem, talk about. But the principle, these principles are how do we build the vessel to house Hashem's presence in this world. And then we go out from there, we look at the shulchan, the table. And the shulchan is in fact where the bread was. Every single week there were 12 pieces of bread there that were kept hot by the God's own miracle that we only learn about later in the Torah. God's presence in the, in the, in the Mishkan we'll learn later. Now we just, how do we build it? But the idea is, where's this bread coming from? It's coming from the people who are harvesting the land. And what they're doing is they're saying, we need to eat from the bread of the land, right? The wheat and the barley. But we're going to put a part of that meal inside the home of God. Because that means every meal we ever eat is connected to the home of God. What does that mean? You see, every cell in our body is a piece of the ground. That's what it is, right? We either ate vegetable or we ate meat. Well, even if we ate meat, right? It came from, that's a cell in an animal, but the animal got it from the ground. It ate grass, right? Cow ate grass, a sheep ate grass, right? We can't eat animals that kill other animals, but even if we could, ultimately down the chain, you'll get to the one that eats the grass of the ground. And what is the grass? It's just the mud reconstituted. So this land that Hashem gives us, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, his land, is a land full of his blessing. It's a land where the very mud of the ground itself converts into the plants and this. And we say, Hashem, it's the land of your blessing. Every cell in our body is your bracha, is your blessing. The very physical body that we have that can house you is made up of your blessing. And so we take a little bit of it and bring it right into your house to say that every meal we ever have, we are aware we're about to put food inside us, we're about to put your bracha your blessing Hashem in us. And when we look at our body of flesh, we literally say, wow, this is the bracha of Hashem. That's, that's why we make brachas on food. We also make brachas on blessings on our eyes can see, we can stand. We, we are the bracha of Hashem. That's how you house Hashem. Every time we eat food, we make a bracha, right? In Eretz you eat. We do also out of Eretz Yisrael, but you eat, you become satisfied and you bless Hashem because you're eating the blessing of Hashem. He blesses your bread. You, you, we are eating the blessing of Hashem and our body becomes the blessing of Hashem. You will become a blessing. That's what Hashem said to Avram, right? You will become the bracha. We become the bracha. And that's how we become the house of Hashem. So that going there connects every meal that we're ever doing to that world. And of course, that's the Garden of Eden. You can eat from all the trees of the garden. That's what you were meant to do. There was one you couldn't eat from, right? And, and, or at least not until you'd eaten for the tree of life first. But that's it. So here we are. And of course, the, the curse, the clodder the in the garden was the how hard it becomes and it becomes cursed. And the antidote is it becomes a blessing when we're ready to receive it. And then finally, of course, in this week's letter, finally in terms of the vessels is the menorah. And the menorah obviously is the place from which we're going to light up the world, right? The Medjish is going to say that more precious to me, says Hashem, than all the light I bring into the world is the light you do. 
And that menorah is seven. And again, many dimensions and level, obviously seven days of creation. But as well as that is the seven attributes of the person, chesed and kind, loving kindness, gevura, discipline, teferis, balance, netzach, a connection, trusting God and a connection to the eternity of the Jewish nation, of, of God's vision, of humanity, and hide the space God gives for us to stand up by trusting Hashem, but then we each have life's missions. Yesod, the integrity of relationship we have with one another and with Hashem. And Malchus, the ability together to build a kingship for God. So these are, these are all the different, the seven lights of the menorah. We're limited on time. Let me just make a, just two other points I want to make. One is, of course, we then need the screens and the skins because you can't just be in it. We're not on the level to be in the relationship with God all the time. Or even if we are, the whole world, it's like any intimacy. Not everybody's on the level to see that. When we're very, very close to Hashem, right? It's not for every Tom, Dick and Harry. Just like a married couple in intimacy is not for the whole world to see. That, that cheapens everything. So we need the skins and we need the rooms and we need the compartments. And even the language, if one is very sensitive, will hear that we're using words that, that depict the structure of the human body. In fact, on very deep levels, those who learn sources that draw from Kabbalah will show how the entire temple uh, literally is structured around the inner psyche of the human, the soul of the human, and the body of the human. It's like it's one microcosm of all of us because each one of us is like a... Um, a refracted structure physically, mentally, spiritually of the whole collective nation, of the whole universe, and so on. But, okay, I'm not going to go through all the details again, but, uh, but just that's the, that's the beautiful principle. The final point I wanted to make is this. Let's go back to where did these vessels come from? Chances, I want to see anyone who wants to give gold, silver, copper. Where did the slave nation get gold, silver, copper from? Tcheles, this turquoise-dyed wool and Aragama, the, the, all these dies and everything, and the answer is obvious. It's exactly what we read about twice. We read about it in, in Pasha's Bo and Pasha's Vashalach. Then last night in Egypt, they went round to all their neighbors who'd enslaved them and essentially asked them for compensation, right? And they gave them gold and silver and everything. And then in the chases, the Egyptians chased them as the chariots are all gone. So the rabbis say that they, what, they, what was given, the gold and all the ornaments and all the garments that, that they collected at the splitting of the sea was greater even than in Egypt. What's the meaning of this? And the meaning that we then hand that on to build the house of God. God could have said, look, I only gave it to you to build a house for me, but he didn't. He said, you take it. And then he said, if you want to donate it, you can. The me I think the meaning is, I haven't seen this inside anywhere, so I'm going to suggest this, but I think it's so profound and so deep. You see, for hundreds of years, they were slaves. They didn't earn anything. They fed a bit of bread, but they, they worked and worked for nothing. And the torture of that, you know, like they're working for, it's like years of, of horrific, horrific, terrible stuff. In that last night in Egypt, when they were paid for all those hundreds of years, all of a sudden their work had changed. It had gone now in a certain sense of being slavery to slavery, there was now employment. Maybe it didn't quite compensate for everything, but all of a sudden it's changed the meaning of those hundreds of years. It's like, you thought you were working for nothing, but suddenly you get this tremendous pay for it. But now comes one level higher. You can take it for yourself. And if you want to, you've converted that slavery into your personal wealth. Okay. I don't think anybody would say it was worth going through slavery for that, but nice, nice, you know, you get some compensation. It's, it's pretty good. Or you could convert it into the home of God's presence in this world. And all of a sudden, you realize now that I wasn't putting bricks 
there and working for an Egyptian pharaoh. I was putting the bricks there that earned the gold that is now sitting in the Oran, that is now sitting in, I earned the, the purple wool that is now sitting in the, in the skins and the walls. I earned that through my work. For hundreds of years we worked and we thought we were working as slaves and taskmasters and horrible, horrific things happening. And now it's all changed. We were working to build the home of God's presence that out of which could shine a light that will change the whole of history and the whole of the world and bring everything to perfection. Back to the Garden of Eden, that's where we were. And suddenly I can see that piece of gold inside the menorah over there. That's my gold. That's the gold. That was my hard work. That was my, that, that was my grandfather's work. He never lived to see it, but because of his work, I got paid that extra thing. I, I can suddenly see the house of God is all of our work. It's a metaphor. It's not even a metaphor. It's a microcosm of our lives. We work and we do so much that we think goes nowhere. Half our life we're spending in the office doing this and that. And we think, okay, we're accumulating a bit of wealth for ourselves. We don't see what's going to happen. And sometimes we go through such painful suffering. Maybe not as terrible as they did in Egypt when all their children were drowned and who knows what. And, but still a lot of suffering. And if only we could see the end, that that suffering, those moments are going to be transformed. And when the temple of God comes back into the world, when our heart wants to give, when we want to become, care about each other, and we all become one once again in a world that we can't be yet, when we shine again in the Garden of Eden, when the home of God comes back into the world, all our suffering and work is going to be shining over there. It'll be the gold in the ark, in the holy ark. It'll be, the, it'll be there. And as we bring everybody else along with us, that's what it's going to be. That's what it takes to build the vehicle and vessel to house God's presence in this world. Next week, we learn how to switch it all on. But this week alone is worth just stopping and being in awe of. And that's, you know, again, there's so much we didn't get to say and so much we didn't get to cover, but hopefully, Be'ez HaShem, we've managed to cover enough to give ourselves at least some of the sense of the power of the house of God that comes from the truma, from the giving, that is the conversion of centuries of pain into the most magnificent vindication of the journey back to the Garden of Eden the journey to oneness, the journey to completion, the journey to infinite light and love, all of that coming through our shade, they'll make me a place where they become holy. I dwell within each individual and collectively within the whole. Hashem shall help us merit to see that, see that right now on earth as quickly as possible in our time for all of us. Amen.